Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. We are all here because we are explorers of consciousness. Not satisfied with the level of consciousness that had so far been achieved. Requiring greater contexts, greater understanding, greater depth, greater freedom, greater capacity to love, to understand the other, to relate without projection, to purify our own minds of those autonomic processes that no longer serve us. We're living in a society that is probably the first one in history not to have specific rites of passage from childhood to adulthood. In the so-called primitive tribal societies, there were ordeals and vision quests and shamanic processes of reaching altered states and of entering into uh, the extreme levels of possibility for existence of the body, whether through fasting and through other kinds of physical and psychological self-torments that would stretch our capacities to discover what are the limits of the body what are the limits of the mind? But today we don't go through such passages, or if we do go through them, they no longer work because they are processes that were adapted to different kinds of societies. But the kinds of rites of passage that we need, we have to build, we have to construct, we have to create. And the catch-22 difficulty is that once you have uh, assumed you know what are the rules of the game and you choose to adapt to the game of the social system and you congeal a kind of identity that enables you to find a comfortable niche within the capitalist system and have a career and uh, children and uh, a, a life with uh, an ordinary sort of uh, relationality that accepts a certain level of consciousness and no longer aspires to change or to grow or to become different from what you are because then that would disrupt everything you have established. And so one then tends toward a kind of psychological conservatism. And uh, 
this of course leads to a stagnation of growth. But when you reach a situation in a historical context in which the rules of the game change on you midstream, or the game itself stops working and brings you diminishing returns, or no dividends at all for all the effort that you put out, and, and you end up devastated with divorce and bankruptcy and all of the other plagues that the system often uh, uh, forces on people regardless of how loyal they have been to the ethics of the system and the aesthetics and the, uh, the belief system in all of its uh, modalities, including loyalty to a family system that in itself no longer makes sense because the people in the family have less in common than you have with your friends or with people you've never met on the internet. And there is no way to have conversations or communication with those people that you thought you should be most close to. And the alienation and separation, the gaps get wider and wider until one feels a very uh, a weird sense of isolation, no matter how close you uh, seem to appear to be with other people. But there's a, a misunderstanding that remains constant and that grows in its uh, uh, inability to bridge the gap with others who you discover are not who you thought they were. And all of your idealizations of parents and family and friends also collapse, including your idealization of yourself. And this leads to a different level of exploration in a search for authenticity and for discovering what you might be underneath what you thought you were that is now crumbling before your eyes. And all the meaning that you thought that you had discovered uh, also uh, collapses in a realization that it was simply an artificial fabrication, a construct that was fictional all along and simply meant to indoctrinate you into an enslavement to a system that doesn't really care about you. So the more one matures into recognizing the true nature of the situation that one is in, uh, one realizes one has to find one's strength within. And uh, one uh, loses one's appetite for dependency. But one also discovers that this process that seemed to be about differentiation from other members of the family system and individuation to discover your specialness, your uniqueness as a, a person, also begins to morph into a, a letting go of that illusory individual and a realization that you are actually universal. And so the process beyond a certain point becomes the fading away of everything that you had attained and gained and thought you had become and all of the diplomas that prove you earned it and all of the other signs of credibility. 
and eventually all of the signifiers of an ego identity you find to be completely uh, unable to relate to and you end up uh, in a complete state of not knowing anything or who you are or what anything is. I hope everyone has at least reached that place within the, the journey. But then there's a beyond to that, which is the realization that this emptiness and not knowing is the, the portal into a different kind of knowledge of consciousness in itself that no longer strives to know or to gain or to possess or to control, but begins to function in a mode of surrender to discovery, to a new level of innocence and of uh, freeing oneself from the last enchainment uh, to belief in one's lack uh, one's inadequacy, one's sinfulness, however one had been limited and hobbled by the belief systems, whether of the religion or the society or the particular traumas, the bullying or whatever other uh, means that the hierarchy created uh, a sense of inadequacy. All of this too gets left behind and the Consciousness enters into a level of its being that can make use of the not knowing to recognize the infinity of potential meanings that is always relevant to any situation and not try to force feed one into some definite state of being. And one gives up the effort to disambiguate oneself and one's concepts from all that is. And this, this willingness to enter into something, not just a vagueness, but a recognition that any use of language is going to have an inherent incoherence in it, since language doesn't correspond to the real. And when one looks at any of the institutions of society, take religion, uh, take Christianity as one exemplar of that, you find very conservative forms of Christianity to, that support the system and encourage you to accept your enslavement uh, in the working class or whatever it is uh, that, that uh, you are being told to, to accept and to knuckle under. And then you have the liberation theologians that say, no, Christ was the ultimate revolutionary, don't give in and, uh, and, and strive to disrupt uh, the, uh, the, the establishment and bring more truth and more light and speak truth to power and all of that form of Christianity. Uh, but when you uh, read the, the Gospels or the Acts of the Apostles or any of that, it's clearly a, an ambiguity of, uh, of, of text itself that cannot tell you what was originally meant or even if there was an original meaning 
because the context has so changed and the language in which you read these texts is translated again and again from an original that you cannot know. Even if you were to learn Aramaic or, or ancient Greek, you would no longer be able to have the context to recognize the signifiers of the particular meanings of the slang that was used in the uh, particular orations that were written down usually much later. And so these kinds of uh, undecidabilities then force one to, to discover authority within oneself and uh, not to project it outside. But one cannot claim an authority prematurely and so there's a, uh, a very interesting historical evolution that religions go through. And I think the most interesting is that of Buddhism that we can learn a lot from, particularly from the uh, discoveries of the Dunhuang Caves that I've mentioned before in, earlier in the 20th century. Uh, much more uh, uh, important than the discoveries of the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls or the Nag Hammadi Gospels because they discovered uh, schools of Buddhism that were oppressed and, and uh, not only persecuted but completely eliminated from memory, literally uh, obliterated. Uh, and, and those include the, the original Tibetan form of Zen. But even more important than that, I've discovered, is a, uh, a school of Buddhism, uh, which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly, but Sanjie, which is often now translated since the discovery of these uh, banished and banned uh, sutras, uh, the three levels school or the three stages and it begins with the understanding that w the human nature is in decline we're not progressing upward we're losing the capacities we used to have and entering into a very narrow egoic mode of consciousness that has tunnel vision and cannot uh, recognize or import into itself the higher dimensions of, of its own reality. It has cut itself off from its roots and from its uh, higher potentials. And that decline is going to exponentially increase so that the original teachings of the Buddha will not be able to be understood. Even 500 years after the Buddhist teaching, uh, there, there will be a whole new teaching. And in fact, there was. The Mahayana replaced the Hinayana. They say even the Hinayana was a complete misunderstanding of the original uh, teachings of Buddha. But then uh, there would be uh, a further phase in which this uh, middle uh, kind of Dharma that was still able to uh, make use of the resources of consciousness to explode the ego construct and uh, open to the infinite. Even that would be lost and, uh, and there would be a period where the ego would be so densely defended and, uh, and, and completely in a shell of narcissism and paranoia that, and delusion that it would be absolutely impossible 
even to give any teachings that could be understood in that final phase. That, that uh, the, the, the state of delusion would be total uh, for uh, nearly everyone. So this school said, how can we, before we get to that last phase, come up with some methods that we will be able to give to people in that condition to help them at least know they're in that condition and to help them break through it. And so these texts were written specifically as time capsules to be given to people at the end of the age when they would no longer be able to understand the original teachings. So naturally, they completely banned these and eliminated them from ever being discovered. But of course, uh, as the drama of uh, the intention of God can't be overcome, they were discovered and <clears throat> recently translated. <clears throat> and they're very useful. At least I found them to be. <clears throat> and what they, they say is, uh, in, in a nutshell, <clears throat> that yes, it's true. You, you are in a state of perfect and absolute delusion. <clears throat> okay? If you can recognize that and accept it, and not believe in your delusion, you're already halfway out of it. Okay, <clears throat> But the other thing to realize is the part of your consciousness that has been encapsulated in that delusion is not all of your being. You can't capture an infinite consciousness into a finite delusion. <clears throat> so all that has been captured is the part of your consciousness that is identified with that delusion, which we can call the ego but that in fact because you are infinite and universal consciousness, you are the Buddha nature. So even at the very moment <clears throat> that you are in your darkest uh, <clears throat> despair and anxiety and paranoia, you are simultaneously already liberated into the bliss of true Buddhahood. <clears throat> it's not that you have to get from the delusion to Buddhahood, and you can't do it. <clears throat> That's the delusion. The reality is that you can't ever be anything but the Buddha nature, because that's all that is. And so even if there are arisings of delusional uh, modes of consciousness within that infinite field of absolute consciousness that is itself truth, and is it self-love and is it self-light? Even though there may be an apparent fall into such a delusional state, the fact is that you didn't fall. That state simply arose within you. <clears throat> and if you can contain the delusion without struggling by believing when the, the delusional thoughts come, I can't do it, I can't stop my mind, I can't find peace, I can't find silence, all of that delusional struggle, instead of identifying with it, looking at it and saying, poor thing, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's give some peace to that deluded node. Don't identify with it, but realize that you contain it and you pervade it. And from that space that's beyond and cannot be captured by any delusion or any identity, 
<clears throat> you can realize that you are in both levels of consciousness simultaneously and not favor the, the speaking uh, linguistic element of consciousness that is the deluded element, but the silent witness that is able to free it from its identification simply by disinvesting in that particular use of language. Now during the middle period that was predicted by these Chinese Buddhists uh, of the Sanjia school, uh, what they predicted happened, which was that within Zen Buddhism or Chan in the Chinese version, there was a split into two schools. One was the Lin Chi or the Rinzai sect that in the Japanese version and the Soto sect <clears throat> or, or school. And the, the Soto uh, Zen Buddhists, among whom is Hongji, who I've been reading lately, were you could say quietists. And they say what Zen is about is simply emptying out and, uh, and, and being the silent field of presence and, and then merging into it. Uh, the, the Rinzai school, who's, which is simply a Japanese pronunciation of Lin Chi, the man who founded it, <clears throat> is based on the wild use of language in order to, uh, to disrupt the logic of the ego. And that's where you get all the Zen koans and those very strange conversations that don't make sense and the shouting and the hitting each other with sticks and all of these uh, kinds of uh, relationalities that uh, seem to be quite mad and yet can produce moments of Kensho or enlightenment. <clears throat> and they are actually poetic uh, warpings of language in order to bring out uh, uh, latent possibilities of meaning moreness that uh, enable one to reach that infinite consciousness in which language itself opens out into all of the uh, poetic potentialities of uh, infinite meaningfulness. And so uh, when, uh, for example, in a famous koan, uh, uh, the, the monk asks the Roshi, uh, why did Bodhidharma come to China? And the answer is the, the flowers that surround the outhouse. Uh, is, is that uh, a metaphor? Is that an evasion? Is that simply to show the absurdity of the question? You know, what is that? And yet uh, the, the monks who would hear that originally became enlightened by hearing it, okay? And maybe had a more pleasant trip to the outhouse as a result. But at any rate, the, the, their ability to communicate something in a phrase like that that we might have to write a whole book, and books have been written about what is the meaning of that, uh, uh, th have, uh, were, were, uh, were such that they could enable an enrichment of consciousness that could use a very tiny bit of uh, linguistic information and turn that into uh, a recognition of the infinite consciousness that produced it. So it is the, the need to get out of the limitation of the signifiers that have produced a false sense of definiteness that whenever we explore it, we realize is incoherent and inconsistent 
and reaches a point of failure in which that identity that you have chosen to believe you are will not be able to handle a certain situation that goes beyond the particularity of the system in which it defines itself. And so one, if one is going to be able to live in a reality that is not limited by the systems of thought that we try to impose on it, we have to be free to explore a continual uh, reformatting and uh, re-paradigmization of our reality and a, uh, an ability to live beyond uh, the limitations of meaning. So the capacity then to meditate brings you to a, a, a soundless understanding of the real that enables the recognition that the world that you find yourself in, you are only in because you believe you are in it. And, and you will only see what you believe as a preconception. When you let go of all the preconceptions that you have about yourself and your world and uh, all that is entailed that you have thought you learned about both, then all of the, what you perceive shifts, changes, falls away. And the, the, the true nature of the real, of this holographic field, and in a hologram, you know, every point contains the whole. There's a, the microcosm contains the macrocosm. But here we have a situation where even the macrocosm is a delusional representation of that real that's indescribable and not perceivable by the senses or knowable by rationality. And it's that level that we want to get to in order to be able to redream that holographic uh, environment in which we inhabit and can influence because whatever shift happens within the point of consciousness that we are affects the whole and recontextualizes it for everyone, not just for oneself. <clears throat> and so it's that uh, level of uh, empowerment that cannot come from an ego identity. It can only come from the surrender of ego identity. In the same way that in the final phase of Buddhism, uh, in, in Japan, the, the Zen, both Zen sects became uh, pretty much dead in the water because there were no longer any Zen masters who either could reach silence or uh, an authentic, create an authentic koan or mando or dharma combat. Uh, and the new forms of Buddhism that were arising that were no longer uh, uh, the same sort of Buddhism, which was based on discovering who you are beyond the ego, but instead were a recognition that I can't get out of my delusion and all I can do is pray to Amida Buddha, the Buddha of infinite light, through repeating some mantra uh, and, and somehow because of, I can't even have faith in Amida, but I'll pretend to have faith in Amida and say the mantra once in a while and even that will be enough to get me into Sukhavati one day 
which is the name of the Western paradise where, you know, those faithful uh, Buddhists will go. So you don't need faith, you don't need even surrender because you can't. Uh, and, and you don't have the ability to have faith in yourself or in anything. But what you can do uh, is to recognize the truth of your condition and, and realize that the one who is recognizing it is no longer under the jurisdiction of that belief system and of the, the rules that that delusion creates in, in the form of limitation of your capacity for uh, conscious expansion. So the, uh, the bottom line, I would say, between, uh, that, that, that occurred between this shift from what they call self-power to other power, in other words, I can't do it, uh, God save me, or, uh, or, or, or maybe you'll save me if I repeat this mantra, if I remember to do it. But the, uh, the, the realization that the one that you think you are is helpless uh, in a flux that it cannot uh, control, it cannot uh, understand where it's heading, it cannot cope with, uh, it cannot manage, and, uh, and that it, it's too fragile to be able to survive uh, very long before breakdown. If one can recognize that that state, that the ego has in fact uh, entered, in which it is filled with negative projections and opinions about itself and complete despair and dismay about any hope for the world, uh, that that itself is a delusional uh, belief system. And, and be able to step just one, one centimeter outside of that limited sphere of, of belief that you take for granted about yourself, then there is the, the, the infinite potentiality for a, a rebirth as a completely unknowable kind of being who has capacities that you cannot uh, in advance either invoke or suppose or insist upon, but that through your openness to discovery, you will be able to be saturated by. Because the power that created all of this, whether it's a delusion or a reality, that power has also created you and cannot be anything but you in the form of a representation of itself in holographic form. And therefore, the, the entirety of the intelligence of the universe from beginning to end is contained within your consciousness at this moment. And the accessing of it is simply uh, based on the requirement of being willing to go out of your mind. But to go out of your mind, not in a paranoid way, but in a metanoid way. So they say you're either metanoid, paranoid, or just annoyed. But what you want to be is not any of those, but in that state that is completely inconceivable because that is the truth of what we are. And I hope that that inconceivability will bring you the same bliss 
that it has brought to all the sages, including Buddha and Christ and all of those great beings who have been forgotten in the depths of time, but whose intelligence remains part of the noetic field that is supporting our own attainment of the Buddhahood that is already our inheritance and our nature that is now again the emergent property that must now become our reality because that is the design of the system of the universe in which we find ourselves and that we find within ourselves and that is the self. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.